welcome to this week's message from a new church. For more information, or if you'd like to contact us, please visit our website, newchurch.nz. Thanks for tuning in, and we hope you enjoy this message. I just want to say a huge welcome to every person here, um, and any newcomer and visitor, you are so welcome in this place, anyone watching online. Um, if you're here on site your first time, please, uh, we've got a coffee or a hot chocolate um, on the house for you this morning. And um, yeah, we just want, always, we just want to make you feel like you're a part of the family. So I want to share a two-part message series all about choices this morning and um, about how to make wise decisions. Like we're at the start of this year and it doesn't take a, ro- a rocket scientist to know that we are going to have to make a whole lot of decisions. Some of them are very, very small decisions. Some of them are significant life-changing decisions. Our life is full of decisions. We, we make choices. And choices are so significant, in fact, that it, it changes a, a good choice or a bad choice can change the trajectory of not just our life, but, but a lot of people's lives around us. So I just really felt for the start of this year, just to, to give a couple of messages around choices. This morning, we're going to be looking at truths about decision-making, um, and then next week, we're going to be looking at some keys and tools that the Lord has given us, how we can be confident to make the best wise decisions. So um, it's, it's, you sort of can't listen to this morning's message without listening to part two. It's like one message together, which means you guys are all got to come back to church next week. There's no excuses, which is great, so I'll see you here next week as well. But I don't know about you, but man, making decisions sometimes can be really, really hard. I've four, four siblings in our family. I'm the youngest by nine years, so I'm still seen as like the kid and the, and the baby. Um, but I'm not sure if it's a birth order thing of those that are the youngest. If hands up if you're the youngest in your, in your family. It's like I grew up and I pretty much didn't have to make any decisions at all. Like my, my siblings were in their teens, late teens, they were going off. It's like, and mum and dad, like, just take Simon along. And it's like, so I'm not sure if I was even welcome half the time, but it's like I just tagged along. And growing up, it's like, I, I wasn't the one who decided which movie to see or where to go. It was always like other people made decisions for me because it was just like, well, this is pretty cruisy. It's just like I just tag along and, and, and go where I go. And then you sort of hit adulthood and then you realize, flip, I've got to make some decisions. Um, I don't really know what this is all about. I'm terrified of making the wrong decision. And then you just sort of end up in this really crazy um, place of being terrified to make a decision because you feel like you're going to make the wrong decision. So that's been me for a lot of my life, um, and I've struggled with this. So this, this message is sort of a part of me coming out this morning. But the cool thing is Ephesians 2.10, um, it's a promise from God. It says, so that we can do the good things He planned for us long ago. God's got good things in store for all of us, and He's going to help us make the right decision if we're submitted to Him. The challenge comes with if we are going to do the good things God has prepared for us, it's going to involve and demand that we make some good decisions in our lives. So that's sort of like the, the foundation for this message. Some things I'm going to cover this morning. Number one, God has given us incredible freedom within His will to choose. God has given us incredible freedom within His will to choose. Number two, God expects us to take the initiative. Number three, wise decisions Making wise decisions glorifies God, really does glorify God the Father. 
And then next week, we're going to be looking at some tools that, that God has given us so that we can make wise decisions. And this is a sort of a, a crossover message. It's for those that are thinking about ministry decisions, but it doesn't just, it's not just exclusive to ministry decisions. We, this is for our whole entire lives because our whole entire lives are ministry or is ministry. So I'm excited about this. Um, might be a little bit challenging, but always encouraging for some of us, um, especially if we have a, a wrong mindset or a wrong worldview, and then it gets a little bit adjusted. So number one, God has given us incredible freedom within his will to choose. So I grew up in an awesome Christian family, like I said, the youngest of four kids. Love all my brothers and sisters and and my mum and dad um, when when they were alive, but yeah, didn't really have to make a lot of decisions. Then I fell in love with Christy in around 1994 or so, and I just wanted to spend the rest of my life with this amazing woman. And so uh, we actually started going to Bible college together as well, which is awesome. That's a great foundation. Uh, But then I started to think, well, is Christy the absolute right one for me out of all of the billions of people in the world? How can I know that that Christy is the one that God has chosen for me? I wanted to spend the rest of my life with her. Absolutely. I wanted to marry her. We were engaged. But I just started getting into this vortex of wrong thinking. It's like, well, wait a second. What if... Christy isn't the right one for me, then if I marry her, then I'm going to be completely out of the will of God because God obviously had someone else in mind. And then when we have kids one day, all of my kids are going to be out of the will of God because I wasn't supposed to marry Christy in the first place if it wasn't God's will, if God had someone else for me. And then all my kids would be out of the will of God. And then all the, ki- all the people that they marry are going to be out of the will of God. And all the kids that they have are going to be out of the will of God. And pretty soon anarchy will take over the world because I made the wrong decision. I know it sounds crazy when you put it like that, but I really did think this way, and I was so consumed with, I want to make the right decision, God, because marriage is permanent, but what if this is the wrong decision? I felt so sorry for Christy. She went through two hen's parties, a family one and a friend's one, and she wasn't even sure if we were going to get married. Um, another, another story for another time is how God spoke to us or spoke to me so clearly after three intense days of me being on the ground and just crying out to God and fasting and praying, God, please, I want to make the right decision. That's another story. But I want to make something incredibly clear today. God's will is not a tightrope. It is a sandbox. God's will is not a tightrope. It's, it's a sandbox. So let me explain that. I honestly thought that God's will for my life is a tightrope. I was walking along this tightrope, and it was going to be really easy to fall off the tightrope and then screw everything up. God's will is not like that. Uh, it's like a sandbox. And for those of you that aren't into video games, it's like, what? God's will is like a kitty litter box? Like, what are you talking? Like, no, not a sandbox like that. A sandbox in video games is like an open world gaming environment where there's definitely boundaries. And there are rules, but within that, you're free to, to adventure and, and, and travel and decide. Now, I know that's a bit challenging for people, but I absolutely believe it. God's will is not a tightrope. It is a sandbox, and we see this right throughout Scripture. God loves free will. He has given us free will. The will to choose its complete freedom. He doesn't want us to be robots, so he gives us incredible freedom to choose in this life. But sometimes people think that God's will is so restricting and he's such a bad father, they think that doing whatever uh, they want and and throwing off all responsibility and all wise counsel um, is freedom. Like basically Satan says, like, uh, I want to give you all freedom. But Satan is the one that hates free will. 
Satan wants to control you. Satan wants to enslave you. But Jesus, God wants to give us, and he's given us free will. God has given us incredible freedom in his will to choose. Let's have a look at the the word of God. 2 Chronicles 20, verses 2 onwards, and I'm going to read most of this. Messengers came and told Jehoshaphat, he was the king of Judah, a vast army from Edom is marching against you from beyond the Dead Sea. They are already at Hazazon Tamar. Jehoshaphat was terrified by this news and begged the Lord for guidance. He also ordered everyone in Judah to begin fasting. So people all from all the towns of Judah came to Jerusalem to seek the Lord's help. That is incredible advice right there. Go and seek the Lord for his guidance. With, with, with this freedom that we have to choose, remember that's the place we always have to start, um, seeking the Lord for guidance. Um, and then go to verse 12. So they were seeking the Lord for guidance. Everyone came. It was a collective thing. Oh, our God, won't you stop them? We are powerless against this mighty army that is about to attack us. We do not know what to do, but we are looking to you for help, for guidance. As all the men of Judah stood there before the Lord with their little ones, wives, and children, the Spirit of the Lord came upon one of the men standing there. His name was Jahaziel, son of Zechariah, son of Benaniah, son of Jaleel, son of Metaniah, a Levite who was a descendant of Asaph. He said, listen, all you people of Judah and Jerusalem. Listen, King Jehoshaphat, this is what the Lord says. Do not be afraid. Don't be discouraged by this mighty army, for the battle is not yours, but God's. Verse 17, but you will not even need to fight. Take your positions, then stand still and watch the Lord's victory. He is with you, O people of Judah and Jerusalem. Do not be afraid or discouraged. Go out against them tomorrow, for the Lord is with you. So this is an incredible blessing and direction from the Lord. They've sought the Lord for help, and God has actually told them what's going to happen, and He's given them some instructions within His will. Go out there tomorrow, for the Lord, I am with you. Verse 21 says, After consulting the people, the king appointed singers to walk ahead of the army, singing to the Lord and praising him for his holy splendor. This is what they sang. Give thanks to the Lord, his faithful love endures forever. At the very moment they began to sing and give praise, the Lord caused the armies of Ammon, Moab, and Mount Seir to start fighting amongst themselves. It's an incredible story with some cool principles in there. They sought the Lord for help. They prayed and they fasted. God gave them His will. Go out and, and, and be there tomorrow and the, the battle is mine. But what happened next? It said, after consulting the people, God told them what to do, but not how to do it. God gave the people and King Jehoshaphat his will and his direction, but he pretty much left it up to Jehoshaphat and his counselors how actually to do it. The Lord didn't actually instruct them at all to send the singers out in front of the army. That's something that they decided upon themselves. I can imagine them getting together and saying, this is what the Lord has told us to do. Go out and march against them, but we're actually not sure. How are we going to um, organize the armies? I'm not quite sure. What do you guys think? And they consulted amongst themselves and they came up with a brilliant idea. Worship is all about warfare. We're going to send out the singers in front of everyone else, like in front of the army. Like, I'd rather have someone with a sword and spear in front of me rather than Mitch on his keyboard carrying that in front of battle. It's like, it doesn't make sense. But they felt that this was the right thing to do. They had the freedom within God's will 
to choose. So often I feel like I'm crying out to God saying, God, I sort of know what your will is, but, but what do you want me to do? And, and well, God says, well, this is what I want you to do. Simon, how do you want to do it? He's given us incredible freedom within his will to choose. There's something that we started and I really felt to do a few years ago, a couple of years ago, called Exodus 90. It was a 90-day program of camaraderie and um, discipleship and spiritual disciplines. And that was awesome for the nine of us that were there. And then I really felt because I wanted to see something happen in church uh, about camaraderie and uh, and about accountability and about um, encouraging people on and about a, a fresh revival in our hearts. And I thought, well, this is a really great way. Like God, yes, he's definitely for discipleship. And I just felt God saying, well, what do you want to do, Simon? It's like, well, we can change this and make this a little bit different and, and, and honestly make it less Catholic because that was at the time and make it our own. And so we invented Fight Club and that was like last, or start of this year, 39 guys. We're starting it next year with 101 people. That's like a quarter of our church. Isn't that awesome? Oh, this year, sorry, like in a couple of weeks. 101 people, sorry, the cutoff date's closed now. You can wait for next year now if you, if you weren't a part of it. But it's almost like saying, Simon, I want to see discipleship um, resurrected in Renew Church. How do you want to do it? God has given us incredible will, uh, free will within his will to choose because he's given us the good ideas. He's given us all of that. He's given us gifts and talents. I used to pray, um, and it sounded really spiritual, like, God, I don't want just Simon's good ideas. I want your divine strategies. Um, and you pray that, and you sound really holy when you say, oh, Simon's got a good heart. But I felt one day God said, well, Simon, I've actually given you those good ideas. Those good ideas are inspired by me and my Holy Spirit. <laughs> I've given you the freedom and the responsibility to, 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 to do these things and to make choices. Go ahead and do it. Another verse that really highlights this, and I guarantee you almost none of us will know about this verse in the Bible, but it's pretty crazy. 2 Chronicles 18. Then Micaiah continued saying, listen to what the Lord says. I saw the Lord sitting on his throne with all the armies of heaven around him on his right and on his left. And the Lord said, who can entice King Ahab of Israel to go into battle against Ramoth Gilead so he can be killed? So it's like the, the throne room of heaven, the, the courts of heaven with all of um, the angels and the armies of heavens and spiritual creatures there. And they just hear what the will of God is, which is who can entice King Ahab of Israel to go, against, go into battle so that he can be killed. That's the will of God for Ahab. And then it says, There were many suggestions. And finally, a spirit approached the Lord and said, I can do it. So obviously God has said, this is what my will is, and this is happening in heaven, guys. And then all of the people are saying, well, there are many suggestions. Like, I don't know if we've got this interesting picture of of heaven or if we understand it's like this. Uh, And then one spirit comes and says, I can do it. And then the Lord says, how will you do this? And the spirit replied, I will go and inspire all of Ahab's prophets to speak lies. You will succeed, said the Lord. Go ahead and do it. So the Lord shares, this is what my will's gonna be in heaven um, and on, on earth. This is what I wanna do. Guys, how do you think we're gonna do this? And there's a whole lot of suggestions. One angel or spirit or creature comes forward and says, I know what to do. And the Lord says, well, what do you wanna do? Like, let's hear it. Uh, it's not like God wants or needs wisdom. 
Like, he doesn't. He is all wise. He is all knowing. Um, he doesn't need our counsel. He doesn't need any suggestions at all. But he absolutely loves partnering with his creation. He wants to invite us into this whole process of seeing how his will is worked out. And he expects us to take the initiative. Can you imagine that? A little, little angel comes forward and it's like, I, I think I know what to do. And God says, well, what do you want to do? They're like, I think we can do this. And then God says, yeah, it's actually a really good idea. Like, go and do it. Does that just blow your mind? Like, it blows my mind. It really does. But again, it highlights the fact that God has given us incredible freedom within his will to choose. Like, we've got an awesome dog called Totoro. And it was going to be my dog, but he's turned into a mummy's boy. So he's like Christy's dog now. He just comes to me to, to get food. And I have to, yeah, anyway, clean up after him. It's like, okay, like, I really wanted another dog. And I just felt God saying, well, do you really want another dog? It's like, you, you've already had two dogs, and you know the work they do. And it's like, yeah, yeah, I, I sort of do, but I really want a dog. And I said, well, you go ahead and do it. Like, there's so much freedom. I think sometimes we get super spiritual about all of these things. Like, I've got, also got four cats as well. I'm not sure if that's God's will for us to have four cats. Like, but absolutely, Totoro's brought a lot of joy to our lives. But it was interesting that that whole throne room of heaven, like God was expecting and inviting his creation to actually do something and take initiative, which brings me to my next point. God expects us to take the initiative. And initiative means having the good judgment and the confidence to take responsibility and make wise decisions without needing to be told what to do. So having good judgment and the wisdom and to be able to take responsibility in any given situation and make a decision and just do it. Take the initiative. It's, I think it's a God-glorifying character. But if you guys are uh, astute um, students of the Word of God, you're saying, well, actually, Simon, I disagree with you there because what about Saul um, back when he was going in the Old Testament to go out to war and Samuel was going to take the, do the sacrifice and Saul took the initiative and did the sacrifice himself, and that was the very worst thing he could do. A couple of things about that, and I might talk about it next week. First of all, Saul was motivated by fear and insecurity. Um, so that's not a, a good way at, ever to make it as chosen. Secondly, he knew exactly what the Lord had said. It was God's ex explicit, express purpose to have Samuel, the prophet, um, make the offering before they went out to battle. So he absolutely disobeyed the Lord. He was full of fear and security, and he was acting in disobedience and rebellion. So Saul taking the initiative, it's actually not a good, um, a good example that God expects us to take initiative. Luke 9, verse 12 to 14. Now this comes about um, soon after Jesus sent out his disciples um, to go into towns and villages and, and homes and to preach the gospel and to see some incredible supernatural things happen, signs and wonders and miracles. So they were learning to hear from the Lord. They were learning how to do God's will um, and the freedom within God's will to choose about how they were doing ministry. Um, Luke 9, verse 12. Late in the afternoon, the 12 disciples came to him and said, send the crowds away to the nearby villages and farms so they can find food and lodging for the night. There is nothing to eat here in this remote place. So this is the feeding of the 5,000. A whole lot of people are following Jesus. And then the disciples are saying, these guys have got nothing to eat. We're in the middle of nowhere. What are we going to do? We need to send them home. And then Jesus says in verse 13, you feed them. So he gave him his will, their will. They gave, he gave them his will. You feed them. 
And I was thinking maybe in the back of Jesus' mind, like you guys have been out in the countryside doing ministry. You you, you know what it is like to be led by the Holy Spirit and seek my um, my wisdom and my counsel. Like you feed it. You guys take initiative. You, you know how I work. You've been you've been with me for a long time. Like this is like you guys feed them. You take responsibility. And then they said, but we only have five loaves of bread and two fish. They answered, or are you expecting us to go and buy enough food for this whole crowd? For there are about 5,000 men there. And I imagine right now that, you know, Jesus went, oh my goodness. Like, you guys know how this works. You use what you have. You pray and believe God. Um, I've given you this responsibility to go and, and do it. And they just didn't get it. So he does a bit of a, in Simon's paraphrase, he does a face palm. And then he says, tell them to sit down in groups of about 50 each. Then Jesus goes and basically leads the whole thing. Wouldn't have been awesome in the story if Jesus said, you feed them. And the disciples are thinking, we don't know what to do, but this is God's will. God, please help us. Oh, we've got this. Maybe we just start feeding people this and maybe God's going to do something awesome. Let's take responsibility. Peter, like, we, we need to take responsibility here because we know how God works. That would have been an awesome story. Um, but it wasn't quite like that. And I don't blame the disciples because, man, I'm so much like a disciple here. I would have been freaking out. Jesus, I don't know what to do. I don't want to make a decision. You're the leader. Like, you go do it. God expects us to take the initiative. And this uh, is made very clear again in Matthew 25, verse 19, which is the parable of the talents. Just to sort of paraphrase, the master, which represents God's going away on a long journey, and he, and he asks three of his servants, I'm going away, um, I'm going to give you my resources, I'm expecting you to invest my resources while I'm gone. So to one he gives, I think, five, and to another one he gives two or three, and to another one he gives one, and then he goes away on a journey. Do you note that the servant, uh, the master actually said, I want you to invest in all of these places. I want you to do this with my money. He didn't say that. He says, I'm giving you my resources. I'm expecting you to invest it. Like, this is up to you. You guys take the initiative. You know what my will is? Go and invest my money. I want to see a return on my resources. Use your imagination. Use your skills. Use your connections. I want to see uh, my resources expanded. So again, it's like, we are told what the Lord's will is, but he gives us freedom within that um, and use our skill sets and our, um, and our abilities and our experience to make the right decision. And then um, verse 19, after a long time of, of Matthew 25, their master returned from his trip and called them to give an account of how they had used his money. The servant to whom he had entrusted the five bags of silver came forward with five more and said, Master, you gave me five bags of silver to invest, and I've earned five more. The master was full of praise. Well done, my good and faithful servant. You have been faithful in handling the small amount, so now I will give you many more responsibilities. Let's celebrate together. If God gives you more responsibilities, it's, a, it's a, I guess, a, a showing of the blessing of God in your life. Having more responsibilities. Who wants more responsibilities? No, not me. <laughs> And then the master says the same thing to the other servant who has the two. And then verse 24, Then the servant with the one bag of silver came and said, Master, I knew you were a harsh man, harvesting crops you didn't plant and gathering crops you didn't cultivate. So he had a wrong mentality of what his master's heart was like. I was afraid I would lose your money, so I hid it in the earth. Look, here is your money back. And the rest of the story goes that the master was not happy with that servant at all. 
And you think about this and you go a little bit deeper and really that last servant, he was afraid of making a wrong decision. It was all about fear of not choosing the right thing. So he was, he was enslaved to this fear of, oh no, what if I, I really do believe that if, if he had lost the money, if he went to his master and said, I had this really awesome idea, I really believed it would happen, so I was doing all of this and it actually didn't work out, I'm pretty sure the master, this is my opinion, would have thought, well, at least you did your best. But he was afraid of making a, just making a decision, so he didn't make any decision. You know, not making a decision is a decision in itself for doing nothing. So the master basically says, here are my resources. Use your imagination. Do something with it. Just take action. You know, when Moses was in the, in the wilderness and he had this incredible burning bush experience, an encounter with the Lord, he turned aside to see, and then the Lord said, this is what I want you to do. You're going to be the deliverer of all of my people. Um, that was a big, life-changing thing that happened. I think so many of us, even though we probably know what the will of God is, go and make disciples, we, we, we have a, a sense of direction. We, we use the fact that we haven't had this incredible burning bush experience in our life as an excuse not to do anything, not to make a difference for the Lord, not to step out and try something. Like the worst thing we can do is step out and make a decision and it all falls to pieces and we, we don't, like God's grace is not on that and we learn our lesson and we learn to hear God's voice more clearly. I think a lot of the time we're just afraid to make a decision and we say, well, I haven't received a revelation from the Lord yet as a sort of an out for doing nothing. Please don't be a lazy servant. We know what the will of God is. Go and make disciples. Like, just try something. Fight Club was just a good idea that I really believed that the Lord was breathing upon, and it just happens that we see the grace of God in that. It's like, oh, this is awesome. Within God's will, there is a lot of freedom to choose, but with that, God actually asks us to take the initiative and asks us to take responsibility. Is God waiting for us to take action? Matthew 18, verse 18 is an incredible verse. I tell you the truth, Jesus says, whatever you forbid on earth will be forbidden in heaven, and whatever you permit on earth will be permitted in heaven. So the context of this is church discipline, and it's basically saying, guys, you've got so much power and authority in your decisions that as you gather together and, 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 and counsel and feel you're doing the right thing, then heaven is going to back you up. But so often we, we get that around the wrong way and we think, well, whatever is done in heaven first, then it's going to be on earth. But actually, is God, based on this scripture, it's pretty clear that God is waiting for us to make a decision. Like, Simon, I've given you everything. I've given you my spirit. I've given you salvation, all of that. Like, I'm waiting for you to make a decision. With going and making disciples of all, you know, we're, we're waiting so much. Like, God, send revival. Send a spiritual awakening. Like, Lord, we're waiting for you to do something. Maybe God is in heaven with his angels and the armies saying, man, I wish those guys would do something. I'm waiting for them to move. And we're praying, God, please move. And God is saying, Simon, please move. Identical, actually, whatever you forbid on earth will be forbidden in heaven, is exactly what Jesus told Peter in Matthew 16. Just to double this um, truth, in Matthew 16, 19, I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven. God has given us the keys. Whatever you forbid on earth will be forbidden on heaven, and whatever you permit on earth will be permitted in heaven. We have huge power and authority as sons and daughters of God. 
2 Peter 1.3. So I'm sort of blowing away some excuses here. Please still love me. By his divine power, God has given us everything we need. Everyone say everything. Like everything means everything. Like God has given us everything we need for living a godly life. We have received all of this by coming to know him, the one who called us to himself by means of his marvelous glory and excellence. So often we are waiting for God to do more. But God has given us everything. He's given us freedom through the cross, victory over sin, the Holy Spirit who's not just with us or alongside us, he's actually now inhabiting us. We have God inside of us. Wisdom, whenever we ask for it, James says, whoever needs wisdom, ask for it and don't doubt. Church community, a whole family now and a whole family of counselors, experienced counselors, people that have gone the distance and have won victories and maybe have fallen but have come back by the grace of God and knows all about how the character of God. We're filled with hundreds of people here that we can call upon, many counselors. God has given us an incredible church family, many counselors, spiritual gifts, incredible supernatural gifts, a renewed mind, an audience with the king. Go boldly into the throne room of heaven. There you will receive mercy in the time of need. A close relationship with God. No intermediaries. We don't need Mary or any other saints. God is inviting us in and saying, hey, come into my throne room. Like we have been given everything. And yet, sometimes I say, well, God, I don't know if I've got enough. I don't know if I'm experienced enough. I don't know if I'm confident enough. I, like I'm just waiting for you to do some new thing. and like I'll just wait until then to make a decision and I'm burying my resources and talents that God has given me and, and not investing that for the kingdom and at least just trying to do something for God, seeing as His grace. Like really, what else do we need? God's given us everything, 2 Peter 1 to 3. God has given us everything we need. Number three, making wise decisions glorifies God. God wants us to grow up into mature sons and daughters, reflecting his character and his wisdom. Um, I'm going to use my two sons as examples. Like when Jason and Michael were young, it's like they just couldn't do anything. Like you've got to go and, and, and brush their teeth and you've got to choose their clothes for them and you've got to make food for them and you've got to take them to the toilet. And like they just don't know anything because they're kids. Like, they don't know. And then as they get a little bit older, you get them to make the decision. Like, do you want peanut butter or marmite? Like, you, what sort of clothes do you want to wear? It's like, no, don't wear those clothes. I'm going to put you in these clothes. So you, you, you train them. So it's understandable when they're young that they can't really do anything and they can't make decisions. So they're depending upon their mum or their dad to make decisions for them. But Jaysher is a 25-year-old, 25 almost 25-year-old. And Micah is a 22-year-old. It's like, wouldn't it be ridiculous if, like, Micah comes to me in the morning and says, Dad, I don't know what clothes to wear today. It's like, Dad, can you brush my teeth? It's like, just imagine if Jaysha rings me up this morning and says, Dad, I don't know, like, what time should I be turning up at church? Like, I don't know, can you help me? Like, that wouldn't, that would show that, number one, I'm a real bad, failed father for not actually training them to do that. But actually, it would be a bit of an embarrassment for me as their dad, because they are adults now and they should be wise enough to make the decisions for themselves and, and to have the, the experience and, and, and to be able to do them, those things. So it wouldn't give me any honor or glory 
if they were asking me to do everything all the time. Now, when we first get saved, like, God does everything for us. But wouldn't it be more honorable to God? Like, we still stay close to Him, and we still ask and seek His decision. But wouldn't it be more honorable to God? And we are always children of God, but to be mature sons and daughters of God where he's trained us up enough and we know the heart of God and the character and the purpose and the wisdom and the discernment of God enough to be able to make godly decisions in any given circumstance. Wouldn't that be more honourable and bring more glory to God the Father? Wise decisions glorifies God. Hebrews 5.11. There's much more we could, would like to say about this, but it's difficult to explain, especially since you are spiritually dull and don't seem to listen. You've been believers so long now that you ought to be teaching others. Instead, you need someone to teach you again the basic things about God's Word. You are like babies who need milk and cannot eat solid food. For someone who lives on milk is still an infant and doesn't know how to do what is right. Who can't make the right decisions. Solid food is for those who are mature, who through training have the skill to recognize the difference between right and wrong. This life is all about discernment. It's all about wisdom. It's all about making the wise decisions. So in conclusion, next week we're going to be looking at some phenomenal tools that God has given us and how can we make decisions. And right from the get-go, it's all about seeking the Lord first. I want to make that very clear. But let's just finish with this Deuteronomy, talking about Moses and what he challenged the people of Israel to do. And this is right at the end of Moses' life. So whenever you see someone nearing the end of their life and what they say is very, very important, like it's, it's really that they want to make the most impact with their last words as they can. And this is what Moses says. This command I'm giving you today is not too difficult for you. It is not beyond your reach. It is not kept in heaven so distant that you must ask who will go up to heaven and bring it down so that we can hear it and obey. It is not kept beyond the sea so far away that you must ask who will cross the sea to bring it to us so that we can hear it and obey. No, the message is very close at hand. It is on your lips and in your heart so that you can obey it. Now listen, today I'm giving you a choice. This is a decision to make, a choice between life and death, between prosperity and disaster. For I command you this day to love the Lord your God and keep his commands decrees and regulations by walking in his ways. If you do this, you will live and multiply and the Lord your God will bless you and the land you are about to enter and occupy. Go down to verse 19. Today I have given you the choice between life and death, between blessings and curses. Now I call on heaven and earth to witness the choice you make. Today I've given you the choice between life and death, between blessings and curses. Now I call on heaven and earth to witness the choice you make. So it's like calling the armies of heaven and the throne room of heaven and the council. Like, this is what I'm asking to make a decision. Oh, that you would choose life so that you and your descendants might live. You can make this choice by loving the Lord your God, obeying him and committing yourself firmly to him. This is the key to your life. Asking us to make it, or asking the, the people in Moses' time to make a decision. And I believe that question is still being asked of us today in 2024. C.S. Lewis is one of my favorite all-time authors. And he says this. 
What is the good of saying you are on God's side then when you see the whole natural universe melting away like a dream and something else comes crashing in? This time it will be God without disguise, something so overwhelming that it will strike either irresistible love or irresistible horror into every creature. It will be too late, too late then to choose your side. That will not be the time for choosing. It will be the time when we discover which side we really have chosen. Whether we realized it before or not, now, today, this moment is our chance to choose the right side. And Christy was saying this morning about following Jesus. A couple of thousand years ago, Jesus approached some guys that were so rough around the edges and he said three simple words, come, follow me. Three simple words that were gonna change their lives and they were challenged to make a decision. Do I just carry on with my life and, and my life dreams and goals and all I wanna do, but now facing this, following Jesus, wanting to do and live His will for my life. But they were faced with a decision. They made the right decision. Their lives were changed for the better and, and we're recipients of the decision that the disciples made a few thousand years later. And, in, and Jesus is still asking that question of all of us. He is asking us to make a decision. With the question He asks us is to come follow me. Come follow Him. Turn away from things of this life. Well, the selfishness and self-seeking and self-centeredness and turning to Jesus and surrendering our life to Him and making Him the Lord of our life. And when we do that, true freedom comes into our lives. And God starts to reveal His will and His plan. He starts to grow us and mature us. And He invites us to partner with Him in making incredible decisions to see how the will of God is gonna unfold on planet Earth. It starts with those three words, come, follow me. Let's all stand up, please. And at times here, we, we, we call people up the front and, and in the heat of the moment, it's, it's very easy, like, oh, okay, I'm gonna do that. But this decision, it's gonna change your life. So you can make it here right now or you can recommit that. And, and because Jesus is always asking us to say, okay, right here, right now, God, I'm making this decision, as well as going away and, and seeking God's heart and, and, and making this decision, which will always be life-changing. So if you could bow your head and, and close your eyes with me, I'm gonna pray. Lord, I want to thank you that, Lord, you, you, you loved us so much that you gave us free will. And even when we become your sons and daughters, Lord, you definitely give us boundaries and you show us clearly what your will is, but then you invite us into this incredible close relationship of, of, of working it out and using our gifts and, and imagination to see it happen. Starts with those words, come follow me. Lord, you're asking us to make a decision about that tonight or today, Lord. And some of us, it's like, well, you know, I'm, I'm gonna think about it and, and we never really think about it. Please help us to remember, Lord, that making no decision is in itself a decision. So Holy Spirit, even in this moment right now, if we need to say yes to you in a whole new way, give our lives afresh to you, may we do so right now. But Lord, we understand this is a significant life-changing decision. Lord, that maybe we wanna go away and think about some Holy Spirit, please stay so close to us. 
draw us to yourself. Don't let us go until we've made that decision, God. Convict us of sin, of righteousness, of judgment to come. Draw us to yourself, Lord. Because this is the true way to live. This is life and not death when we follow you, Jesus. So I pray right now, Holy Spirit, give us the boldness to say yes to you, to make you the Lord, the King, the boss of our life. If you've never done that before, it's a simple, simple prayer of Jesus, I give everything to you. You're the boss of my life. I'm so sorry for my sins. Wash my sins away now. Make me a new creation. Father, we've got all of 2024 before us. Lord, I pray as individuals and as collectively as a church family that we will make the best decisions, the right decisions. That we will walk so close with you. We will hear your voice clearly. We will know what your will is and that we will enjoy this incredible journey of partnering with you and the gifts and the good ideas that you've given us, the skill sets and the, and the spiritual gifts to see your will be done for this place, this community, this church, our families in 2024. In Jesus' name, amen. Thanks so much for listening. We hope it was an encouragement to you. To contact us or to find out what's happening at our church, please check out our website, renewchurch.nz